Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to a beautiful podcast. I'm your host, Spring Developer Advocate Josh Long, and this show is all about the real heroes behind Spring and its ecosystem. Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to another Summer Beautiful Podcast. How are you this fine Thursday, the 30th of October, 2023? Can you? No, November. I got it. I got it wrong. It's the wrong month. Can you believe it? It's already going to be December uh, tomorrow, which is which blows my mind. It's November right now. It's going to be December. That means we're 25 days away from Christmas, you know, 24 more shopping days. Uh, and then the end of the year, and we're in January already. And what a year it has been. Uh, you might have heard, we released Spring Boot 3.2 last week uh, on the uh, on last week's Thursday, basically, Thanksgiving. This is the first one since that episode. Uh, since then, of course, uh, VMware has become part of Broadcom. So I've been busy this last week navigating that uh, migration, that new, new job, basically. I, I, you know, I'm on the spring team. The spring team is where it is all is as it always has been. You know, basically intact, and uh, and, and I'm happy to be a part of the uh, this new mission. But um, it has been, you know, like you can imagine, just uh, signing up for stuff and whatever. You know, getting oriented. Um, so there's been a lot of that, uh, but it's just been a very good week, amazing week, and. It is kind of, kind of, you know, bizarre to to think that we're already uh, in December. I'm uh, that means we'll be in January soon. Um, I'm gonna be in theory. I mean, you know, I suppose things are up in the air. But I'll be in Switzerland in January for uh, Vox Days to Chino and uh, Vox CERN. I think so. Look forward to that. I look forward to seeing you all there. Um, and I'm actually going to make this intro pretty short because today, my friends, um, we've got, I've got a couple things that are happening. I'm giving a talk at the Cloud Builders Java Conf online uh, at a nine-ish this morning, California time, 9.40, I forget what it is, but just stay tuned for that. It's a fireside chat. Uh, and then tonight, I'll be in Nashville, Tennessee, speaking at the Nashville Java User Group. So if you're in Tennessee, uh, come on and say hi. It'll be fun. Uh, what could, what, do, what do you got to lose? You know, um, and uh, and I guess that's that's this week, and and then next week, like we said, it's December, uh, and so I really wanted to, you know, it's, it's important. Let's let's start off the uh, the new month as auspiciously as we can, uh, and uh, and I think today's guest is uh, just the person for that. It's Laurentius Spilka or uh, Lor Lar Spilka. Uh, you might. Know him, and if you don't, you should. By the way, uh, you might know him from his prolific work around uh, Spring Security, about advocating for Spring Security and for the Spring Authorization Server. And uh, he's got a YouTube channel, which is quite, quite good as well. So all sorts of good stuff. He's a he's really quite an interesting fella. He's out there doing all sorts of good content. Um, and it was with with great pleasure I was able to get him to join me on my YouTube channel a few weeks ago, and we had this wonderful conversation. Um, this conversation is. You know, this is intended for the podcast, but we also had a, a demo. You know, he did a he drove a little demo showing us how to migrate a Spring security application in Spring Boot 2.x to a Spring Boot uh, app, 3.x application. Really quite a good demo, and that was the latter half of that video. So if you want that, you can always just find that video. But this is the conversation. This is meant for you, dear podcast listeners. Uh, I thought it was really fun, really good. Uh, Laura is uh, obviously very brilliant and. Uh, I appreciate him having taken the time. So, friends, without further ado, enjoy. 
Hey, look at that. We're actually live on a Saturday, which is incredible. Uh, I can't, I thank you for agreeing to, to join the show for what is in your time uh, very late in the day. So I appreciate it. Uh, before we get into it, who are you? <laughs> Can you introduce yourself to the audience and, uh, you know, give them your name and stuff? First of all, thank you, Josh. Hi, everyone. Um, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I'm Laur. Um, people know me mostly for either my YouTube channel or one of the books I wrote on Spring Security. I wrote one on Spring Fundamentals and another one on Troubleshooting Java. I'm actually working on the second edition of the first one right now. Um, and I work as a software developer, probably like many of you uh, who have joined us today. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's a, I, I know you from uh, that DevOps talk you did last, you know, two years ago on uh, Spring Security. That was like, chef's kiss. Perfect. <laughs> DevOps Belgium, right? Uh, and, uh, and then I found your YouTube channel, which is quite good as well. That is, by the way, uh, hold on. I should have a good show host is always prepared and I am not a good show host. So let me hold on one second, one second, one second. Oh, uh. This one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Oops. Sorry about that. Uh, let's see here. Uh, comments. Yeah. Here we go. Public paste. Nice. There we go. So people subscribe, like, do all the things you do. I'm sure you already subscribed. Who wouldn't be? Uh, I, I certainly am. So okay, good stuff. So I'm I'm really glad to go, like we. I think we met in person for the first time uh, in recent memory, pretty recently. Like it was. Um, you know, it's just nice. Maybe we met before the pandemic. I don't remember, but it's just been, uh, it was just nice to actually bump into you again. When did we see each other? Was it Belgium, maybe? I don't know what when we saw each other. Yeah, I think it was last time at the box in Antwerp. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, well, that's really uh, lucky for me, right? Like, uh, um, yeah, let me see. Hold on. Uh, Okay, so like, I, I yeah, I thought that was like a, just a random thing. And I'm just, I, I, I think we talked about being on the show and I was, you know, I wasn't sure when we would get a chance to do it. And, uh, uh, oh yeah, look at that. People are already, oh, this is great. Look, nice, nice, nice uh, sentiments here from our audiences. That's that's awesome. Um, uh, that's good. Thank you, thank you, everybody. Thanks for that. And yes, subscribe, subscribe more, more. Um, so yeah, I was just really grateful that we got a chance to do this. I put it in a note and I think we talked about being, doing a, an episode together uh, and it's just been very busy for you and for me. And so I'm just very glad that we finally get to sit down. Um, but it came at a cost. It's your Saturday, right? Uh, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, no cost for being here with uh, this, this excellent people like watching us and wanting to learn more about spring and want, wanting to hear us. So th there is no cost for that. <laughs> oh, I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, Okay, yeah. Somebody's oh, people are excited. Look at that. Hi, hello. Good to see you. Uh, look at this. Hello to you both, and good luck with the book. I'm looking forward to the end result. <laughs> Thank you. That's so cool. Um, <clears throat> well, yeah, I appreciate that. Very good. So let's get into it, my friend. I we've got so very little time, and and it is like ten o'clock your time right now, or nine o'clock. I'm not sure where in the world you are, but uh, it's later in the day, certainly, almost in the evening. And PM, just just a good time for a beer, you know? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, but we don't encourage, wait, wait, actually, does that violate like a, uh, 
YouTube thing. We don't encourage people to drink alcohol. That's terrible. Okay. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Never, never do that. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Where'd you buy the shirt from? That's a great question. I didn't buy it actually. I think it's the shirt from Spring IO this year for oh. 10th anniversary. That yeah. was a great show. We had some great yeah. anniversaries this year. We had uh, yeah, the 10th, the 10th anniversary for the conference, the 20th anniversary for Spring, I think. So yeah. quite a lot of things to celebrate, you know. And and yeah. 20 years of JFall. Uh, and what is Java now? 20, 1995, you know, so like 28, you know, it's been a, it's a good year. Good year for such, such a great stuff. Um, Spring IO always has great shirts. You know who else has great shirts? Uh, uh, DevNexus. Now, I don't know if you've ever... Uh, uh, I've never done... been there, but I put it on my list right now. I actually have a pen here. So... Please, <laughs> we need you there. It, it's a, it's a, one of my favorite shows. And they always have these troll... Um, uh, t-shirts huh. like they have these troll t-shirts that are uh, like one year they had the the Millennium Falcon from Star Wars but on the on the hole on the side of the ship it had the USS Enterprise from Star Trek tagline or whatever you know the, the you know yeah Dev Nexus oh okay are you asking Dev Nexus is what we are talking about um um, oh. but he got the shirt from Spring I.O., which is a great show as well, and it's in uh, Barcelona. Yeah, um, the one in Barcelona. Yeah. Great, great show by Sergi, so Sergi is so good in mm. he's doing, he's doing yeah. that over here, so. <laughs> well, the guy is, uh, I mean, anybody who puts on a, uh, yes, Sergi is amazing. I'm not 100%, like one of the best, uh, and we are big fans, all of us on the Spring team. But he does extra. He's an extra amazing person. But I think anybody who does a conference worth going to, you know, uh, that's a special kind of energy and, and effort that I don't think most people can truly appreciate, you know, like, uh, whew, yeah. You need to deliver a real vibe for that, no? Right. You, you, right. you really have to have that vibe of... <laughs> And great speakers, which is why we're, I'm glad you, uh, if you come to DevNexus, that'll be another great speaker uh, there. Um, my friend, like I said, I'm in, I, I, speaking of DevOps and speaking of great speakers, like I said, the, I think you did a talk, uh, a three-hour thing for DevOps Belgium a few years ago. Uh, and that one went really viral, you know, really, really great, right? Um, and, and, and it's obvious you like uh, spring security, you know, and you like security. Like, why? What's wrong with you? <laughs> why? I love Spring Security, <laughs> I mean, too, but I, you know. I mean, everybody knows, no? So Spring is probably the, the most used framework today in the Java ecosystem. Yeah. And Spring Security is the de facto to secure Spring applications. So you can't escape Spring Security, no? And, um, yeah, so I don't, I don't think that there is... There are a lot of applications out there, uh, Spring applications out there that don't use Spring Security because you need to implement somehow those uh, authorization rules, the authentication, the anything that's application level security. So you can't escape that. But at the same time, security is not an easy subject. And the problem is, okay, fine, it's not easy. There are many things that are not easy, but 
security is also sensitive. If you don't right. make it right, you can get in trouble. We all know that. We've seen that a lot of times. Now we've seen that uh, just a couple of years ago, you're probably preparing for your Christmas or New Year's Eve, you know, and then you got, got a phone, phone call and they say, hey, Log4G has a problem. I think everyone remembers that that December, no, a couple of years ago, for example. So it, you can't just not take into consideration security. And since a lot of us build Spring applications, therefore we cannot not take into consideration Spring security. No, <laughs> you need to know it. You, you need and you need you need to know it. I know you need to know how to use it properly. Right. Because if you, if you just put it there. With that dependency in, in your Maven or Gradle or whatever you use, and you expect it somehow out of the box securing your application, well, that's bad <laughs> because it doesn't happen like that. No, it's as I actually was, was saying in in one of the the chapters of my book is like you install uh, a security system in your, at, at your home, no, and you you don't install it properly. It's not the security system's fault that it didn't install it properly. Right. Same is with Spring Security. If you install, if you put Spring Security there as a dependency, you don't configure it properly, then it's not not Spring Security's fault that your app will be will be hacked or will have vulnerabilities or your users will. Yeah. Anyway. So I agree, but with Spring Boot, I think we're kind of a so nowadays if you're using Spring Security and you're using it via Spring Boot, the default is to lock everything down, right? So really, yeah. you're you are protected by default. Unless you undo it, you have to Unless you undo out. it, yeah. Right. But you know how, you, you know, um, with my uh, experience, I would say recent experience is that okay. I see, I, I work as a consultant. So I, right. I do see a lot of projects. I do see a lot of installations. And most of, if not almost all of the cases, it's Spring applications with Spring Security. And you see people not knowing how to put that on, like how often do you think I've seen like CSRF disabled oh. in configurations? How often? So you, you, okay, right. okay, yeah, we know it's not always to be used, but I've seen it that often in places where right. you should have had it. And then the question to the, the teams was, why did you write this line? Ah, we saw that on Stack Overflow somewhere. So we, we thought that's the right thing. We put it there. We saw that the requests are going through, working. <laughs> so, oh, so painful. Like I, you're you're 100 right. Uh, the the there are a lot of options, and people don't know when to use when which. And uh, I think the default with Spring Security, which is to lock everything down and to add as many protections as possible, is a very good default. But Definitely you will need to know how to change those at some point, right? For any real application. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, it can be overwhelming. I think it's, uh, and it's made even more complicated because like you said earlier, security itself, forget about software and Java and Spring and whatever, security itself is difficult. Just the domain of security yeah. is a full-time job, right? Um, it, it's sort of like uh, being a DBA, you know, like people, I mean, we talk about, I don't know. If, I mean, I, I think people have DBAs still. There's still people that are DBAs in their, in their teams now, right? That's a full-time job. If you want to like control Oracle or Postgres fully and maximally and get the benefit of it, you need somebody who's focused on that hundred percent of the time. And uh, I think that's the same with security, you know, and you know, people were talking about shifting left 
right? Everybody talks about moving things that we think about later on further earlier into the pipeline, right? Earlier into the uh, workflow, into production. And security is absolutely, you got to think about that early, right? It's not going to work if you just add it on later on. You're going to have terrible results um, and lots of latency because you're going to try and using other things when, you're, when your web framework could do it for you, you know? Um, yeah, I totally agree with you. So I think it's one of the things we should consider upfront from the early stages, from the baby steps of your application. When you start a new application, whether it's a, like Greenfield one or simply a new microservice in your already huge environment, one of the first things you need to do is think about security. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so, okay, what does it look like for you when you build, let's say you're building a monolithic app. What are some of the like... Uh, things you make sure are set, you know, when, you, when you're configuring or wielding Spring Security? Like, uh, I'm just curious what a guru does, uh, you know, what are the things they look for? In terms of simply security itself, one of the first, maybe the first thing I, I start with is making sure uh, the team has discipline. So I think discipline is it's like anywhere else. You, you need to understand, to learn how to, uh, consider some things without even thinking that you have to consider them. And that applies not only in security, but applies also from my experience with uh, maintainability, like writing clean code and stuff like that. Right. There are some rules that you have to learn to do them uh, instinctively without having to think about doing them. And then, of course, for ensuring that that's working, you should create a strong pipeline because today where we are in an advanced era where building an application is no longer build it on your computer and yes. sell it on a, on a, on a compact disc. No. Yes. Now we have pipelines. We have possibility to add different tools. I, I don't want to discuss now about one is better than another, but you have to have those tools and there are plenty of them you can use to ensure that you, you don't use deprecated dependencies that you didn't uh, leave endpoints um, vulnerable through misplaced configurations and everything like that, no? I, yeah. you know, that's a great point. I was just at um, uh, GitHub Universe and at GitHub Universe, one of the things that's kind of um, very much on display is when you look at your dependencies and your pipelines, uh, there's different, phases right so when you're what github is they're trying to say hey we can scan all your stuff in the code and we can find out your dependencies and cves and all these things by doing analysis of the code but companies like docker they're saying okay well we've got the ability to look at your docker image and figure out things and and it's sort of like uh, these two companies obviously they're tied to these different phases of your your build so they think that that's the most important uh and for us, we poor mortals, we regular humans, you know, we have to figure out how to pull it all together, you know, and it can be quite overwhelming. Uh, and it, which is why I say, again, really good security is a full-time job, right? This is, uh, it's gotta be, like you just said, it has to be everywhere. It's not just the Java code. Uh, yes, people, people and especially organizations have to understand that uh, security is a full-time job. Yeah. Uh, that putting in place everything to be, uh, to be easy to work with for the developers. And we are all human, we make mistakes. So right. 
putting in place a strong, for example, pipeline with strong tools that take care of uh, how you build the applications, um, that costs money. One of the things um, I would say people, but I would I would actually uh, say actually organizations, and when I say organizations, is whoever has the decision there. Uh, sometimes they try to cut corners in the wrong places. Now you see, hey, what what is that actually needed for? No, let's cut some uh, zeros from the from the paper uh, because they, they they yeah. It seems that hey, this 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 department, what are they actually doing? Mm, it seems like oh no, no, let's cut that on of the paper. Like Elon Musk, Elon Musk, uh, he disabled. The, he he fired the team that worked on the um, multi-factor auth for Twitter. So I think he fired a lot of people, not oh, only that. <laughs> yeah, just everybody basically. But he fired the team that was maintaining the service that sent you a code for MFA. Ah. And so when that went down and you had security enabled in your account, you could no longer log in because nobody was rebooting <laughs> the service. Like, oh, genius. This is what a genius move, really. Five-dimensional chess this guy is playing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, there, there are so many, actually, organizations who try to, to, to cut corners. Sometimes they are they are pushed from um, people like maybe Elon, maybe relatives to him, whatever. Uh, those guys, we don't know. They are somewhere up there. And, we, uh, and, and they say, hey, let's cut some budgets off. Where do we cut it from? Security, of course. Why do we need that? No. Or, I mean, or as Simon says, certificates too. Like, who needs updated certificates? <laughs> I mean, the, the certificates. Yeah. Point, I think that, that that's a pain in the, uh, you know, you know where uh, for a lot of, of organizations because <laughs> in PHP, yeah, yeah, in PHP. Yeah. Uh, so uh, for for a lot of organizations, because they they uh, for example they don't implement an automatic way to to rotate them and they expire and then then meanwhile they have already changed like the team three times in that that past years because people left because of now whatever they they uh, the reasons were and then this, this is a third team and they don't, don't even know that they have certificates there and they have to change them so they find out that they have to change them just before they crash in the in the production and nothing works anymore. So I say, ah, it's a certificate problem. That, that yeah. it's a certificate problem. It's something that I've heard so often. No, it's <laughs> a symptom of a process problem. Uh, did you see the new uh, Spring Security Spring Boot SSL reloading feature that just got dropped like last week or two weeks ago? I didn't have the chance to try it. Oh yet. man, we should do. Yeah, we should yeah exactly. Back on that together. So now, like, because there are tools you can use to automatically renew your to, to swap like Vault. Uh, will automatically create new certi new certificates for you, or the Spring authorization server. You can have it uh, automatically expire things if you write some code, a little bit of code. Spring authorization uh, server. It's one of my favorite uh, components of the of Spring now since since it got out, and I'm really happy to. I, I have also tried uh, tried to help with that. Uh, so, yeah. so part of, of some commits are there were are, are also from from me. Oh, nice. I, I really like it. I, I really love it. So it, it's oh, me great. too. Yeah. I, we're see. Uh, this is why we're friends. Uh, it is so good, but but uh, the, the point is, it's not hard to get your infrastructure to renew the certificates. But how do your applications see those new certificates, right? And now with Spring Boot, there's a way. You know the uh, PEM uh, certificate material, the key material 
support the bundles, PEM bundles, um, in Spring Boot that they added, like I think in 3.1, now there's a way to reload that automatically, right? Like you can actually change the certificate and the app will reconfigure itself. So this works automatically with Tomcat and Netty uh, with Spring Boot now. Like, wow. Which is basically everything we, we, we use. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure it'll get better soon, but uh, I'm sure other like Jetty and uh, Undertow and whatever will catch up or maybe they've already got the the code there and we just are not using the dependency. I don't know. But for now it just starts with Tomcat and uh, and uh, Netty, which is like you said, basically everybody. Hey, the sun came out. Look at that. That's nice. Right in my face. Um uh, yeah, so I, I love I love the I love the spring authorization server. That's that thing is because security is hard, but the authorization server gives you, I don't know, 85% of your, what, what I would need to feel comfortable going into production uh, with security, you know, with an authorization server, with an IDP, I get that just with the authorization server dependency. Just start that spring today, authorization server. Yeah, you, you can build your own, no? And, and there were like um, a couple of years where we didn't have anything that we could use to easily build an authorization server. Right. Because remember, remember we um, years ago, uh, we used to have that Spring Security OAuth. Right, and then we had authorization server. Yeah, which got, got deprecated. Then part of the resource server and the client were moved directly in Spring Security, which was a great, great right. idea and, and a great decision. But then we we remained without the possibility to build the authorization server, and in many many cases, like I, on in the community, I was hearing two sides. One of the sides was, "Hey, who would actually build an authorization server from scratch?" And the other side would be, uh, "Why uh, why don't don't choose, for example, Kickloak or something else?" and there was, there was another side that, that, that was saying, hey, our stakeholders, for some reason, want us to build up, build one from scratch. What do we do? We build it from, from zero ourselves. We use, we use right. something deprecated. So that, that's why I feel that this authorization server really, really uh, took uh, a big stone uh, from my heart, you know, because... <laughs> Suddenly, I, I had answers for all these questions that I didn't know how to answer when, when people were, were asking me, and they were asking so frequently. And I, I said, hey, it can't be that people don't need to implement, don't need to build authorization servers from scratch because there are so many people asking me that. So it must be that they need that. Right. And yeah, yeah that, that's well, all I, the difference. I think it's because it's also, conceptually, it's easier for people to opt in to like I want to add certain features versus opting out of all the things that these are, I, these are because like yeah. Active Directory, you know, people, the, the, the active active directory is the IDP, you know, it's the thing that everybody is using at some point in their organization, but it's also a full-time job. It can take a lot of people to set it up correctly and to off implement it and deploy it and all that. I don't want to do that. I just have a bunch of microservices I want to protect. And I, you know, I need, I need them to talk to a directory. I need them to handle sort of a delegated authorization and authentication, but I, I don't want to do all this other stuff, you know? So it can be very, very, uh, and paying licenses and paying. So there are a lot of stuff that, that you would pay there. You no, know? um, if you have something small or smaller in, when you want just to, uh, make a few people happy, then you don't 
you don't need to pay that much money. So you build something on your own. And if you take the Spring Authorization Server, there are so many things that come out of the box that mm, um, you don't even work too much. I was like proving even in, in uh, at DevOps Belgium a month ago that you can build an authorization server. I built it on stage like in 20 minutes. Of course, right. it was a minimum one. I, right. I don't say it was, but if I can build a working minimum authorization server in 20 minutes on stage, then that's definitely a, a proof that it's an easy way to build one. No? Oh, yeah. I did a video on this show, uh, on this channel. I'm, uh, of, I got uh, Spring Security legend, uh, Steve Reisenberg, on the show and and like uh, steve steve's great right like and yeah. he it was it was the coolest thing because i i just i was just eating popcorn i just watched him he did he did he built an authorization server great really really well done uh but then he also secured an oauth resource server and then he also secured an oauth client and we had the whole thing all working like within like less than an hour it was just it wasn't just that i had deployed the idp it was that i also integrated it into these other things and it was working great like yeah that's that's powerful and i, yeah, well, I love what well what they managed to do there and i i talk now about the the team that worked on the spring security authorization server right. it's absolutely excellent i mean they, they did a really really good job with that and no one can say otherwise nope i agree and i i so to be fair there are some other to the other argument the one that you said earlier which is uh why would you want to build your own that's also true. I mean, it's a little crazy to build your own IDP, uh, but if it if there's one team I trust to do it, it's the Spring Security team. They know how to do this stuff, you know. Um, but Keycloak has been great, right? It's been around for years. People use it. It's obviously very good. Okta OAuth, uh, Okta uh, Auth Zero, the same company, and I they they do a great job as well. I mean, there's no. I'm just saying, it's not like we're it's not like we're. Uh, it's not. It's not like there's not some good choices, but we do happen. To, I do happen to like the Spring authorization server because it's just Spring Boot. So, for example, you, meant, you, you mentioned twenty minutes. I'll bet. Did you change some of the persistence? Is that what you were doing? In those 20 no, minutes? no, no. In, in twenty minutes, I, I haven't implemented the persistence for the client or the users, and not even the key sources. Oh. Uh, but. Again, they are so well decoupled components that right. you can implement them in, in any way you'd like them. And you can like take the, the key pairs from everywhere you, you'd like. It, it's not dependent on any kind of key vault or whatever you want to use. Right. Uh, it's not dependent on any persistence mechanism or, or anything you want to use. Um, so it, it's, it's great because it offers you this much flexibility. Right. I Yeah, exactly. It's just interfaces, just regular Spring Boot. Yeah. You know, yeah. dependency injection. You write an interface, you implement an interface, and there's some um, default ones. There's an in-memory version of everything, and there's also a JDBC one for most of the key interfaces. Uh, but you mentioned the key, the, you mentioned the key pairs, and that actually uh, there's a there's a question here. Maybe you want to answer it. I don't know. Uh, Spring, please explain the Spring Security Resource Server, JBK fetch and catch cache strategies. I don't know if you want to talk about that. I don't know. I'm not, sure, I'm, I'm not sure if I if I correctly understand it, but um, in a short, uh, when we talk, we talk about uh, a resource server using um, a JWT, for example, uh, first of all, it, it depends on the kind of the of the JWT, how it's signed, 
uh, and whether we would like or not to use uh, also introspection, for example, if we want to use a revocation mechanism on the authorization server. So normally, if, say, you don't want to use that, then the things are very easy because the only thing you need to configure in the resource server is considering you use OpenID Connect is the, the URL to the public keys, which is uh, published by the authorization server. So once you do that, the resource server will consume the public keys. Each public key is identified by a unique identifier. This unique identifier is found in the header of the token. So what the, the resource server does is when getting the token, it compares the ID with all the ones in the set, finds the, the ID in the set, uh, so finds the public key, and then uses the public key to verify the signature on the token. Yeah. This is one of the mechanisms, of course. It depends then. Uh, now, it, it will not uh, call every time the endpoint. Indeed, it, it, it uses some caching uh, so that it doesn't have to, to call every time and, and get every time the keys. But there is also the, the chance that you want to use a revocation mechanism at the, author, at the authorization server level, case in which even if you use JWTs, which normally are cryptographically signed and you don't need to have introspection for that, if you want to use revocation at the authorization server, then you would need to, uh, to set introspection and then a call will be made, uh, will be sent to the authorization server to validate the tokens, to validate that they, they haven't been revoked. Okay. There you go. That is, you should send the uh, the uh, consulting bill to Reactive Land. Reactive Land. Where's no, it? I'm writing it. <laughs> uh, okay, that's amazing. So, okay. Um, so, we both love Spring Security. Uh, obviously, there's a lot there. I, I like Spring Security because, uh, like we like we talked about, it's just really it's a very you know fun fact. People don't know this, but before Spring Boot, the number two most downloaded Spring dependency after Spring Framework was, of course, Spring Security, because everybody's using, um, oh, okay, we've got a follow-up question. He didn't send the uh, mailing address for the bill. He sent another question. He said, or she said, I don't know, it's Reactive Land. Uh, Thanks for picking up my question. More explanation. What to do if the private key is exposed? Restart all nodes. Oh. Oh, so if the private key, you know, let's let's uh, consider first of all, um, you have not only one uh, key pair. So um, the resource server, uh, the, sorry, the authorization server has this component that Josh and I were, were talking about a little bit earlier, the JW key source. And the JW key source, you can think about it as a manager of um, of uh, set, a pair set which means that you will, first of all, have multiple keys. Assuming that somehow not all your keepers have been uh, stolen, I'm, I'm not sure how, how that could happen, but let's, let's not think about the worst case scenario. Uh, it's not that bad. And if you have figured out that one of your keepers have been indeed stolen, even if you don't use, um, if you don't, 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 don't use, uh, um, revocation mechanism you can still take that out uh, so you you can implement your application in such a way in which you can take that out so you don't don't have to uh, restart your nodes and stuff like that so you don't you don't, you don't have to do that if you build your app properly the jwk keyword again for reference is an interface so yeah. you can 
plugin or it, it's just a thing that returns the key pairs that are associated with the uh, endpoint. Which, which of course it, it means that it depends on the way you implement it. So we can point finger point you and say you're the, it's your fault. <laughs> if something happens and it doesn't work. <laughs> I did a implementation of that with uh with with Rob Rob Winch, right? And uh it was basically rotating your keys, right? But uh mine I wanted it to persist the keys, but then of course you get into the question of where do I mean the public key, I don't know, it's not too big a deal, but the private key, you gotta you've gotta securely you can't just write that to the file system. It has to be like encrypted. So then you get to the question of, well, where does the if I'm encrypting it, if I'm writing the security, where's the, 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 the key that unlocks the encrypted key live, right? Uh, and so then it's just, it's turtles all the way down. Somebody's got to have an actual key somewhere. Uh, and then of course you get, maybe it's vault or something. And, it, and uh, these are the things that you think about in security that most people don't even realize are, are going to be a problem. And, and if, you, if you implement it, uh, like be very careful that you don't store it in memory too mm -hmm. long. I always say secret things should be kept in memory only as long as you need them there. Why? Because because heap dumps. Yeah. <laughs> because you, I don't know, it's not an easy thing like getting a heap dump, but imagine you have a long lasting, long running service. And usually in production is good. If it's long yeah. running, it's good. No, you don't want it. If it is restarting often, then it's not good. But if, if it's <laughs> a long running... Yeah, go on, Josh, sorry. And this is Lambda. Yeah. So uh, so you imagine you have a, a long running service and you, you, you have someone accessing it somehow, maybe even from someone who like has rise from the inside of the world, it's still not good. If they can generate a heap dump on that, and you keep them in memory, you keep the secrets in memory unencrypted, then that someone will be able to see them somehow. Right. That's not good. Not yeah. good at all. It's the same reason why, why we never, like, for example, never ever kept even passwords unencrypted in the database. You nope. could say, who cares, no? Well, I don't think that you would like as a user of, of any kind of application to know that there is someone able to, to read your passwords there, no? Yeah, because exactly, because it's going to be loaded from the database into memory in a Java program somewhere, and that's the vulnerability. Even if they don't have access to your database, they might have access to your web server, right? Which is actually mm -hmm. externally facing anyway. Yeah, pays it pays to be doubly protected there. Uh, okay, one more question. This is and and then and then you're out. You're done. No more questions. I mean, you're not out. You can stay, but we gotta like move on. Mr. I mean, research server nodes that cache the corresponding public key of the stolen private key. Sorry for being chatty. Uh. Okay, so so what what happens is that they 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 what they've cached the public key of a private key that there is no longer there. Of course, in that case, it's it doesn't matter anymore. No, because if the private key is not there anymore and you took it out, then there will be no token anymore signed with that private key. So if even if they have the public key cached, no, it's, it's not, still not a problem. No, it, it will not be used at all. And remember, there are, there are multiple private keys, so multiple public keys as well at the resource server side. And each public key and private key, because it's a pair, they are identified with an unique ID. So when the token comes to the resource server, the resource server searches in the entire set of, of keys and finds the one identified by the ID of that specific token. 
since you have taken out the private key, of course, there will be a public key there, say, cache for, for some time. But yeah. there, it, it will simply not be used because there will no there, there will be no token that is coming and, and you be used for that. Now, of course, there are different corner cases you can go into, like what happens if it's taken out, but still a token is there. And remember, tokens have to be short-lived for a reason. A token, for example, a JV token, if it's 15, 20 minutes, is fine. So that's that's the most. Then you don't have to, to, to keep it longer. If you made a token that is valid for 24 hours, it's your problem. Like it's it's a wrong implementation. No. Right. Very good, good answer, good question. Thanks for that. Okay, another question there for you. Uh, Spring, Spring Framework 6.1, introduce the REST client, which I love, by the way. What are your thoughts on that? So it's, it's great because REST template has been, it hasn't been deprecated, but it's maintenance mode for yeah. some time already. Years. And then if you go into the REST template, you'll see that uh, in the in REST template documentation, you'll see that uh, it kind of refers to, hey, use web client instead, but web client has another problem. It's made for reactive applications mainly. So if you want to use it to to, code, to, to write non-reactive code, you have like something, something, something dot block, right. which I don't really like. I mean, like it's, it. it's kind of, you see, it's not, not the real, the, the, uh, it wasn't made for that. Right. And then, then what I even warns you, doesn't IntelliJ color it differently like you're doing something wrong like most likely most likely yes most likely yes so that's why for a lot of time i have I, I have recommended hey if you don't have a reactive application uh, i said use something like um a spring clouds open fane for example hmm. which for me it's it's great why because it, it it works kind of like spring data you have only the interface right. so you define the contract and then somehow magically something happens and it's pro it provides an implementation right. but open fane it's still like it abstracts things it's fine but if you do you if you want a less abstract way to uh, write your http a request, then you didn't have many alternatives. So the REST client, well, and is, no. is, yeah, it's worth it's worth noting now that we also have Fane like declarative interfaces in Spring Framework itself since uh, Spring yeah, Framework six. Yeah, yeah, anyway. that's so. So it's it's kind of it fills a gap that makes another part of the de development easier, which we are right. used to about spring throughout the years. It always made things easier and easier for developers, which is one of the things that I like right. about spring, no? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So the, okay, I agree with you. Yeah, perfect response. Uh, when, so I guess the question is when spring security, OAuth, what is spring security OAuth? Is that spring security six, uh, whatever? Or because I don't we don't have the Spring Security OAuth project anymore. Um, so when Spring Security OAuth client will support it? So I'm 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 I kind of I kind of understand the question. I I think they refer to uh, also thank you, Johnny, for your question. So yeah. uh, they refer to uh, how to create a client. You no, know, and uh, you had that OAuth two um, REST template. So it it was an implementation um, that is customized such in a way in which, for example, if you want to implement the client credentials grant type, it knows to go to the authorization server, get the token, and then make the call. 
Yeah. And that's a good question. I, I, I don't know when REST kind of course will be adapted to that. And you, now if you want to use it, you can use it because you can create your own implementation. But will there be a dependency in which you will have a, like a class that will do that out of the box? I'm pretty sure the guys uh, from yeah. Spring Security, they are already thinking about that because I, I know them and I know they are already one step ahead. I don't know how to answer your question. When will that be? But I'm pretty sure at some point that will be because, as I said a bit earlier, Spring and Spring Security always um, uh, it's always version by version made us yeah. made our life easier, you no, know, and and simpler. And also, I think what you just said is very true, which is because one of the nice things about the REST client is that it uses the same extension hooks as the REST template. Right, just like the JDBC yeah. client uses the same interfaces as the uh, uh, JDBC client, right? So, yeah. like the HTTP message converters that you configured for the REST template, those work in the REST client as well. So, for maybe maybe the interceptor model is the same. I think it is. I have I don't have my code in front of me, but if it's the same, then you could take the old one and just plug it into the REST client. Yeah, most, most likely. It's not done automatically, I guess, but. But, know. but, you know, developers are lazy. They want the class there. They can use already. They don't have to put their own interceptor. Probably that's all about. I can understand that. I'm lazy as well. I'm lazy yeah. as well. So, <laughs> so I can There's understand an answer, that. Maybe. I don't know. We should try it out when we get some time to write some code. Yeah. Um, okay. So, okay. Let's... Uh, uh, one more question about security. We'll do one more. One more. Because we got to move on. I've, I'm keeping this poor man from... Is Saturday Saturday night. So, okay, developers who are relatively new to Spring Security, what are fundamental concepts of features uh, that you recommend focusing on to quiz, quickly grasp grasp its uh, capabilities? I can't read apparently. So, so when when I hear quickly, I I usually <laughs> get goosebumps because because I I always have you know I have so many students who are like. Hey, I, I read the chapter 20 of your book about, I don't know, JWT, and I didn't understand it. And then I asked them, and did you actually read also the first 19 chapters? And they said, no, no, because what I need, because what I need at work is, is using JWTs, yes, but it doesn't work like that. No, because you have to, first of all, understand what what's, uh, was before. So uh, now to answer your question, actually, I, I would start with understanding properly the the class design between uh, be behind the scenes. So I, I would I would uh, for a web application I would I would like to understand that filters are intercepting the HTTP request. They are delegating to authorize, uh, an authorization uh, manager uh, to an authentication manager, which is further delegating to an authentication provider. I, I would understand how that works. That there are multiple authentication providers. What is their role? If you use credentials, what is a user detail service? What is a password encoder? And what is, of course, the security context and how does it manage the authentication contract, which is describing uh, the, the um, authentication itself during and after uh, authentication happened. So once, once I, I very well understood that design, then I would go into more customizations and even in, in OAuth, because anyway, what is behind the scenes, even in uh, OAuth and basically any other um, uh, any other thing that's related to Spring Security is kind of the same 
the class design, if you understood that as the backbone of your knowledge about Spring Security, you understood that, you will basically understand how to customize each part of your application properly. If you don't understand that and you simply rely on, on like uh, copying pieces of code that seem to work from Stack Overflow or lately ChatGPT, because that's now the uh, latest and greatest stuff you use, um, it doesn't always work and you kind of might end up with vulnerabilities in your applications. Oh, yeah. And the worst part is you you won't even know that you've got them because you didn't take the time to learn the fundamentals. Uh, you'll just yeah. you'll get hacked and like, oh, okay, then, then you'll blame Spring Security and we'll end up back where we started in the beginning of this conversation, which is you blame the wrong thing, you know? Uh, okay, great, great, great conversation. Uh, I'm going to try slowly to move to the next topic. By the way, thanks for the nice words there, friend. Um, uh, next topic is JPA. Well, like, like, oh, oh, should we do, we can do some coding. I noticed that you've got a nice ongoing series of JPA on your show, uh, which is, which is, and I like watching you, but I, I've, I've given up on trying to, um, I get that people use JPA, I'm just no longer sure why, you know, and uh, and I'm just trying to figure out what do you think of it? Do you like it? I mean, I, I'm sort of lukewarm. I'm, I'm not uh, hot or cold, uh, but, uh, you know, I am hot about um, other technologies. And I don't know. What's your use cases? What, how do you find it? When do you use it? Yeah. For, first of all, don't you miss I'm, records? I'm, I'm I'm not I'm not uh, um, a fan of like any technology. I always think that each technology has to be used uh, properly on the case. So no, I don't think JPA or JP implementations could ever be used on every uh, on on every, for for every solution. And funny thing, I have seen so many cases where JPA has been wrongly used in the wrong place, causing a lot of issues. JPA yeah. and an ORM implementation in general, this concept of object relational mapping, this can be really okay in uh, places like, for example, you have a web application, uh, your queries are not that long running, they don't work with a lot of data, um, if you have this, this kind of an application where you have like short running queries and working with data with not, not, not so much data, then you can use right. JPA because, well, it comes with a lot of advantages, some caching that, that is, uh, uh pre it, it happening, it happens out of the box, some, uh, adjustments it does on the queries that happens out the, it's fine. It has it's some. You can say, "Hey, it's it's cumbersome at the beginning. You have to be attentive as, at many things." But you with smaller applications like that, it it kind of uh, it's easier. Then, of course, I would not recommend it being used everywhere. No, like you have other alternatives for things like uh, situations where you have to work with uh, larger sets of data. I love, for example, Spring Data JDBC. Yes. Spring Data JDBC yes. is now imagine only. You know, you a lot of people use Spring Data JPA, and I've seen people like even like putting an equal sign between Spring Data JPA and Spring Data. That's not possible. Spring Data 
is basically an abstraction layer for so many technologies, SQL yeah. and NoSQL, reactive and non-reactive. Right. Spin data is a lot more than just spin data JDA. Spin data JDBC, for example, it allows you to write uh, uh, simple native queries in a similar abstract way that you would use with any other kind of Spring Data, like even Spring Data JPA, no? And mm-hmm. uh, in terms of writing the code, it would be the same. What it doesn't do, of course, you don't have the relations between objects because it's not not, not an ORM behind the scenes. But in many cases, but you know, it's I don't think I don't think people realize they can do some basic ORM relation, relationship type stuff. Uh, I should, we should do a video together. But I agree with you, though. You're right. It's not as fully featured there as Hibernate, right? Which is, it's not I know we're talking about. In many cases, you don't need that. That's what I right. meant. In yes. many cases, you don't need that complexity. Remember, as developers, what we do, we always must implement and we tend to implement the simplest solution. You don't take a pill if you don't have a headache. That's, <laughs> that's how it works. And if you take so many, people, so many people take pills because they don't have headaches. And I saw I saw it also on Juke there. Uh, I didn't have the chance to use Juke in oh, so yeah. many projects. But I know I know Simon, you, you might know, know, know Simon Martinelli. Uh, we discussed last time in Belgium, I think, and I, I promised... I will um, um, contact him and I will ask him to teach me more about Juke. Uh, and and then, then maybe when I, when I know a, a lot more, I will, I will be able to share some thoughts on that as well. I, I don't oh, want to yeah. share them now. So the, the Hibernate team will tell you that, um, that Hibernate really makes a difference when you have lots of relationships. And that's true, right? Because that's otherwise, you're, yeah. you're, you're, if you're doing SQL by hand and you have, you know, yeah. N times M, N, or, you know, A times B, there you go, that's clear, uh, A times B relationships, it gets very, very painful if you have a large number for A and B, uh, because you have to code both directions and you have to code, you know, it becomes painful, whereas with Hibernate, the complexity is just, it's in the object model, not in the SQL, right? And so as long as your object model is coherent, then your your SQL, the resulting SQL will, it'll, it'll generate it for you, you know? Um, and I agree with that. That's a good point. But my, and like you just said, and you're, you're correct, which is that Spring Data JDBC doesn't have the best support for relationships and all that. It does. It can do kind of st- simple stuff there, but, uh, but not nearly to the level of sophistication as Hibernate. And you're right. There's no, in, no built-in caching uh, with Spring Data JDBC. You have to, have, you have to use at the, the Spring caching abstraction, for example. Um, but, uh, but, that the, and so Hibernate is better for these really complex domain models, um, and that complexity that you pay to use Hibernate in the very beginning, it pays off when you have the scale, right? Uh, yeah. In the beginning, it's a lot; it's too much. Like if you take a little simple Spring Data JDBC example and a Spring Data JPA example, I can't use Java records with JPA, uh, and you know, I I, I end up using. I say you can't use Java records with JPA at the entity level, but you can create, you can write queries with details. Now, the the truth is that the complexity is at, at some point is very big, and yeah. that makes it cumbersome to learn. So even people with experience with using Hibernate cannot say that they they are really trustful in in what they their application do. 
I myself, I always, when I have an, an, uh, an application with Hibernate and I finish my use case, my business use case, what I do at the end, I, I spend five minutes with my profiler. I, I use Visual <laughs> VM. I, I don't laugh. I do that every time. I open Visual VM and I, I'm uh, profiling all the SQL queries happening behind the scenes. Because right. even with experience on using Hibernate, I'm not sure. I haven't introduced, for example, unnecessary updates or and uh, plus one problems and anything yeah. like that. And, and I'm not even sure sometimes that the queries that I have written really look the way I wanted them. So I really want to see them either in the profiler or in the logs and see that they really look like the way I want. I expected them to look like. Right. And sometimes not doing that can even uh, lead to issues in production because whenever you use them in tests, you'll say, hey, don't you test your application? Say, yes, I do. But usually in test, in test uh, environments like dev, pre-production and so on, uh, you use less data. So sometimes yeah. you don't even see that something is happening because, it hey, can. it works. It yeah. works, yeah. And then you move in production and nothing's working anymore because that's a, a lot more data there. And suddenly you discover you have an N plus some problem and you, you haven't figured out properly in the beginning, no? Right. 100% agreed. And, and also, this is another reason why a DBA is a full-time job, right? Like it, yeah. making it harder for a, a qualified DBA to help you with the SQL and with the understanding what's happening. Oh, okay. There I'm back. Yeah. I, I, I think, uh, yeah, let's see. I think last, have you had a chance? Oh uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Um, show this question. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, no. Internet is being flaky. There we go. So it's a little bit of I said, like, how come I can't, there we go. Is it better now? Yes. Hello. Okay. So I saw this great. I was in Indonesia a couple of months ago, and um, somebody's asking me if I, because I was there for a Java user group, right? And uh, they're asking if I had a chance to work as a genuine Java garbage collector. And um, was it? <laughs> no, no. I, I, but I, I, I wish I could have. <laughs> So, so that, that, that means um, you should have been in, on Java Island and work as a garbage collector, no? Yep. <laughs> I guess that, that's what they I mean. Exactly. <laughs> yep. That's my, uh, I love that. That's my favorite tweet. I, I joke about that all the time with my, in my talks. Um, okay, so, JP, okay, good. So, JPA, I agree with you. There's some interesting use cases there. Uh, but I do think the, like I said, for that, for that use case where you've only got one or two tables, in a small microservice, adding JPA. If you just do like, go to start, you can try it yourselves, people. Just go to start.spring.io, create one single entity with like one field, an ID and a field, uh, and then add, uh, uh, and then use Spring Data JDBC. Start up the application. It'll take twice as long to start up as the same thing in JDBC, right? Twice as long. It'll take twice as much memory. The GraalVM compilation will be twice as long. It's it, it's an extra 70 megs on of, of native image memory just for that one extra field. You know, like if you're using... JPA adds a lot of cost. And if unless you're willing to pay for it, unless you're doing a large system with a lot of tables, I think that cost is a lot of times not worth it. 
but it really does pay off when you have a very complex domain model. It's, it's not even uh, only if you have a complex or not domain model, but it's also with how much data do you work with. So I've seen like uh, about a year ago, yeah. uh, an application uh, that was simply using some scheduled process behind process behind the scene. Uh, and right. uh, it, it was like using a lot of it, it was selecting thousands or tens of thousands of records. What happens with those records? If you use JPA, they are collected in the context that context managed by the entity manager. So you will end up at some point with an out of memory if you are not careful with that because, and then of course, out of performance issues because they will try to be managed somehow in memory, which is not something that you would expect. Right. I've been trying to get Laura here for so long because I know you're a very busy, busy person and you're a, uh, very, very uh, visible in the community doing all this really cool stuff. So I appreciate you taking time. It is literally the weekend for you. I mean, it's the weekend for all of us, I'm, except for people maybe in, no, it's 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 the weekend for everybody right now still. But um, but uh, the point is, you really, I cannot thank you enough for being here. Uh, really, really thank great. You. Thank you very much for inviting me, Josh. And again, there is, there is no better weekend or um, uh, without the community without uh, joining uh, you and uh, discuss a lot of, of uh, interesting stuff here. So <laughs> appreciate yeah, it. Thank you. Um, where yeah. are you? So are you on the internet? And if you are, uh, do you, and if you want to be found, where do people find you? Uh, you can find me besides YouTube. Of course, you can find me on Twitter or whatever the name is now and on LinkedIn as well. So you can, <laughs> yeah, you, you can find me there. It's the same uh, the same tag you you can use for all of the the social media platforms. Okay. Um, and yeah, join join me. Ask me questions. Uh, wherever I can help, please uh, let me know, and I will try to do my best. All right, you're a legend. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank thanks you. For Thank you, guys. Have an excellent rest of the day. Bye. -bye. Have a good weekend. Bye. A Beautiful Podcast is produced by me, Josh Long. I do these podcasts because I believe that everything we do in software is for and made better by people. I want to hear from you. I'm josh at joshlong.com by email or at S-T-A-R-B-U-X-M-A-N on Twitter, where, of course, my direct messages are wide open. Do you have guest ideas, topic suggestions, feedback? Don't hesitate to reach out. If you like the show, then please consider rating it on iTunes and leaving a review, uh, as it really helps the show. I sampled music from Steve Combs's Them from Morning and Springtime and Steve Combs's Small Victory, both of which are licensed under a Creative Commons license. I'm trying to hire production assistants to make the production of this podcast easier. I want to make sure that we can add things like show notes and transcripts and, and just generally do more. If you would like to advertise on the show, then please reach out to me. Uh, and if you can't uh, or don't want to advertise but would like to otherwise support the show, then please consider supporting me at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Josh Long for as low as $4 a month. Thanks again. No harm came to any seasons in the making of this podcast.